This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. The time for empty talk is over. The ECB is ready to do whatever it takes because Brexit means Brexit. Hello, good morning, good afternoon to everyone and welcome for this new M&D Blue Conversation that will be dedicated today to the results of the US elections. Uh, so it seems that there is now some white smoke or blue smoke out of the West Wing and so Abemus president, we could say in the US apparently, or not, that's the question. Uh, apparently uh, now it's the case uh, that Mr. Biden will be the next president of the United States and so we're going to discuss uh, the consequences of the elections, what's going to happen uh, in, tr in this transition period that is being open. Uh, and to do that, I have the pleasure to be with uh, Greg Vallière, Barron's columnist, veteran nonpartisan commentator on Washington developments. Hello, Greg. I think you're well known to a number of uh, our attendees already. Good morning. Great to be with you. Thanks. And we have with us also Ken Tobes, uh, our US CIO at Hammondy, head of our investment platform in the US. Hello, Ken. How are you doing? Very well. Good afternoon. And finally, last but not least, Pascal Blanquet, Amundi Global Group CIO. Hello, Pascal. Hi, Jean-Jacques. Good afternoon. So we're going to start this conversation by a question for you, Greg, uh, which is, uh, first, what is your assessment of the result uh, of the election? That's one thing uh, I think uh, everybody would like you to comment on first. And second, uh, it, it seems that it's clear that we will have difficult transition uh, between the former president and the new one. So what are the most important issues that investors around the line should be aware of during this period? Uh, between now and uh, Inauguration Day. Uh, and how do you see this transition is going to happen? Do you expect, I would say, something like a shutdown or whatever? So tell us a little more, a little more about your assessment of the, of the results of the election and your views on the period that is opening now. Of course. Uh, I would say, first of all, that the election actually was pretty well run. Uh, there was controversy, of course, but there's always controversy with Donald Trump. Uh, the, there was no Russian interference that I'm aware of. Uh, I think that the reason things looked a little unusual is that the, the ballots that came in at the end were for, by mail. And the people who voted by mail were mostly Democrats. So it looked initially as if Trump was winning uh, on Tuesday night, last Tuesday night. But by the time all of the mail-in ballots were counted, uh, it's quite clear that Joe Biden has, has won the election. Uh, the White House is talking about going to court uh, to challenge the outcome, but the, the evidence they've presented has been pretty weak. And I think even if there were some very minor irregularities in some states, those irregularities were, are not sufficient to change the state's votes. The margins are so huge. Uh, Biden, for example, it has about a 50,000 vote lead in Pennsylvania that I, I do think that uh, this will be certified by our electoral college in the middle of December, and uh, Joe Biden will be inaugurated on January 20th of uh, next year. I, I think that it's, it's very difficult for me to envision anything else. There will be controversy. Uh, I do think that Trump may not actually concede. Uh, he may not admit that he lost. That's just the way Donald Trump is. People are trying to convince him 
to uh, concede. Uh, they're telling him that if he is a good sport, maybe he could run for president in the year t 2024. Uh, he'd be 78, and he doesn't appear to be in great physical shape. So I'm not sure that is very likely. I think the, there's some interesting things to watch for in the next several weeks between now and January 20th. First, the new cabinet. They'll be announcing new members. I think that uh, it'll be a moderate cabinet. There'll be a few liberals, a few, uh, a lot more women, a lot more people of color. But the big job for our industry, obviously, is Treasury. And I do not think it will be Elizabeth Warren that would be viewed as too radical uh, by the markets. Uh, and she has a Senate seat in Massachusetts that uh, the Democrats don't want to give up. So I, I think the clear favorite is a Federal Reserve governor named Lael Brainard. She's very highly regarded. I think she would easily win confirmation. The other big story between now and January is whether we can get a budget and a stimulus bill. Uh, I think a budget, it will be slightly easier. Uh, the deadline is the 12th of December, uh, I guess midnight at the, on the 11th of December. Uh, I think they probably will do what we do best in Washington. They'll kick it down the road. They'll delay. Maybe we don't get a final budget until sometime early in 2021. But I do not see a government shutdown. The second big issue uh, to watch for, obviously, is whether we can get a stimulus bill. Things have gotten much, much, much worse in America with the COVID in the last uh, few weeks. I think there's an increasing need for some stimulus. Uh, whether we can get a deal between Nancy Pelosi and Mnuchin and Mitch McConnell and Trump is very difficult. I, I, it's possible, but I think it's more likely that we get a deal at some point early next year after the inauguration, which is too bad because I think the economy needs medicine right now, but I think it may come a little bit later before we get an agreement. So those are some of the things that are, are going on, but there's no doubt in my mind that uh, Donald Trump did lose the election and Joe Biden will become president on January 20th. Thanks, Rick. Be before moving to Pascal, I have a another question on uh, your uh, assessment of the results. Do you consider it's a massive victory for Biden or not? Because if you look at the number, uh, at the final numbers uh, from, I would say, a European perspective, this could look like a relatively large success. But uh, how do you assess that? Do you consider he massively won? It's a good question. He, he won by a little more than 5 million votes. That's a lot. Uh, he, he won a lot of key states, but there was one disappointment, and that disappointment was Congress. Uh, the, the House of Representatives lost Democrats. Nancy Pelosi thought they would gain Democrats. And perhaps most importantly is the Senate. And the United States Senate uh, will continue, I think, to be controlled by Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. So uh, there's a, a special election in Georgia on January 5th that might change that. But I think the, the safer bet is that the Republicans will control the Senate. And, and that's a disappointment for Biden because all of the taxes that he wanted to raise, business taxes, individual taxes, capital gains taxes, they probably will die because Mitch McConnell would not agree to the Biden agenda in the Senate. 
Thanks. I think we're going to come back to the, the CNET question afterwards. But Pascal, uh, turning to you, uh, so basically from your perspective as a Mundi Global CIO and from maybe a more European perspective, how do you evaluate uh, the Biden win? Uh, and what do you think is going to change for investors because of the change? Uh, <clears throat> I've seen from my window, uh, first geopolitics, uh, what is the uh, likely to change or expected to change specifically seen from Europe is uh, predictability. So uh, you should expect a reduction in uncertainty compared with the Trump uh, sequence. Change in style for sure. This is linked. Probably more uh, multilateralism uh, around with some probably some limitation but more than less uh, and a stronger transatlantic relationship which is uh, probably uh, the the call the typical call from uh, from Europe with uh, some cons positive consequences in areas like uh, trade tariffs on the auto sector very sensitive in uh, in uh, in Germany so this is what is uh, expected or likely to change what is uh, expected to uh, stay uh, unchanged is uh, the essence of the uh, relationship with China Beyond uh, the uh, beyond Trump or Biden, there is something uh, deeply grounded in, in the uh, in the fight for power uh, between the two uh, the two countries. Uh, so it's uh, unlikely to change, but probably uh, will be smoothed out in terms of style and way to uh, run the debate. Uh, and then there is a third bucket, what is uh, basically uh, Well, it remains to be seen if uh, the new uh, Biden administration can fix uh, the situation related to Iran, so this escalation and, uh, and possibly pursuing a new nuclear uh, deal, uh, driving uh, the de-escalation of tensions in the region. So this is for, uh, on top of that, yeah. there, there are a couple of things to, uh, to fix in the Middle East uh, area in relation with, the, uh, with Iran. Uh, on, the, uh, on, on the economic side, uh, the market reaction was one of uh, the, basically a sort of Goldilocks, best of two worlds type of uh, reaction. Uh, with the idea of uh, fiscal impulse, but some, with some moderation and with a break on, on, on taxes, uh, low rates for longer, zero inflation. So this, is, uh, this, this was the market reaction and the perception in Europe uh, initially. Uh, having said that, uh, th there is the view that uh, at the end of the day, uh, they will have to do uh, more. Uh, for three types of reasons. One is uh, the possibility that, uh, that the cycle loses steam more uh, than uh, expected at this point, uh, driving uh, uh, the need for more uh, fiscal action. The second is uh, specifically view from Europe, the, uh, the win as a face, uh, centrist face, Mr. Biden, and uh, there is the view that the reality is uh, probably more driven Uh, by uh, progressist forces uh, pushing behind for uh, action in the uh, social uh, green and ESG spaces, uh, typically or infrastructure. 
And uh, last, uh, but probably not least, uh, there is this view that uh, Mr. Biden has uh, arguably more room of maneuver than uh, initially uh, stated uh, through uh, executive orders or even the possibility to find some combinations uh, at the Senate level, which is, uh, which is more uh, debatable. Thanks. And so we're coming back to Greg's point initially that it's the Biden capacity will depend largely on the results in the Senate. So you, Greg, you mentioned so that everything is going to play in Georgia regarding the Senate. What do you expect there in terms of results? You were saying that probably your bet was the Senate was going to remain Republican. Uh, and so what do you expect Mr. Biden is in capacity to achieve in that context uh, in its first 100 days, taking into account the fact that so far he has put the priority uh, on uh, the pandemic? Of, of course. So yes, Georgia is very important. The Democrats would have to win both of the Senate races in Georgia to get a tie in the Senate. And if there's a tie, the Democrats have the advantage. So if if this doesn't happen, if the Democrats do not win both of the races, I think that Mr. Biden would have uh, limitations on what he could do. Uh, a president can do a lot on regulatory policy, and I think he would be quite aggressive in changing the Trump rules on emissions, auto emissions, factory emissions, things like that maybe labor standards, maybe financial regulations. So there, there would be a much more aggressive regulatory policy with Biden. Uh, that, that, that is very, very likely. He also can do a lot on trade. Uh, I think that Biden is a pragmatist on trade. Uh, I do not see any quick uh, rapprochement between uh, the United States and China. I think that will take a while because that Biden's uh, uh, colleagues uh, in the Democratic Party are very suspicious of China, of China's behavior during the virus, of China's treatment of dissidents in uh, Western China, the Muslims and in Hong Kong, and China's hacking into U.S. companies, especially U.S. companies that are working on a vaccine. So I don't think there'll be any quick uh, recovery of relations between the U.S. and China. But I think the U.S. and the rest of the world, you know, Canada, Mexico, Western Europe, I think relations will be much more predictable, uh, no surprises. I think that's very important uh, for the markets. I think there will be the beginnings of some uh, improvement in U.S. relations with the Iranians. I think most Western European allies will convince Biden to move in that direction. So there are things that he can do without legislation. I'd say that the major challenge by far is COVID. I think COVID is the major reason why Donald Trump lost the election. He didn't handle it very well. I think Biden will immediately seek out Dr. Fauci, who has a tremendous reputation in the U.S. Dr. Fauci has been put in Siberia by the Trump administration for the last couple of months. But now we see Dr. Fauci come back, and I think that will be uh, an enormous priority. As for a final point I'd make, as far as economic policy, uh, Biden can control the uh, debate, but I think the major player, you would have to say, 
and I think that uh, Ken will agree with me, the major player, obviously, is going to be Jerome Powell. Uh, his term as Fed chairman expires in February of 2022. Uh, he's 68 years old. He's in good health. I think there's a good chance that Joe Biden will reconfirm, he'll renominate Jerome Powell, who will play a very big role in the next few months. Thanks. I have one very specific question, but uh, which I think uh, is important because this could have a huge economic consequences. Uh, and uh, from a European perspective, this is something that is expected from the Biden administration. Uh, do you consider that Mr. Biden is going to be back in the Paris Agreement on climate uh, as soon as possible or not? Yes, uh, he has made it very clear that he will rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement. I think that will happen perhaps in the first week after he's uh, inaugurated president. Thanks. Ken, from your perspective, so basically, uh, I think uh, Greg uh, has explained us what we could expect uh, from the first steps of the Biden uh, presidency. So what are the things that you expect are going to impact uh, the markets the most? Well, uh, of course, I, I think the outcome of the election is, is the most important thing. And the market is Uh, very content with the divided government at the moment. Um, as you heard from, from Greg, uh, that's likely to be the case. And I would just put one more point on this in terms of the perception of the outcome. And, and, I, and, and I think that in many respects, um, people think that it wasn't a Biden win as much as a Trump loss. Because, you know, typically when the president wins and, and has, by the way, five million more um, popular votes than the loser, uh, you would think that there would be so-called coattails down ballot. And in fact, down ballot, the Republicans did very, very well. Not only did they lose House races, uh, the, the Senate, which was clearly uh, being told to us prior to the election, was in dire, uh, in, in dire risk of falling to the Democrats, it, it, or uh, positively, if that's your view. And frankly, uh, more state houses went Republican. They didn't pick up governorships. So down ballot, uh, Biden had no coattails, and oddly enough, Trump had more. So the, the outcome of this is a divided government that in some ways, many people say and view the most progressive part of the Democratic Party is the big loser in this election. They haven't conceded that like Donald Trump <laughs> hasn't conceded, but that, that's the consensus, I think. And it's going to be very difficult for Biden, as Greg said, to enact the, the most, um, I think, um, controversial and meaningful parts of the platform that would have the most important impacts on the economy longer term. But in the, in the near term, I think as Greg and even Pascal said, the bigger impacts on the market are not going to come from statutes or new laws, but they're going to come from new regulations. And frankly, the direction of each of the agencies, because moderate or not, I, I think you're going to have a very different tilt. In, in the past administration, um, it was very successful, if this is your um, you know, outlook um, on, on the way an economy ought to run, is that they were very, very successful in not just deregulating, but uh, having looser interpretations of rules, not uh, doing as much enforcement, uh, and, and really less harassment, frankly, of business. And, and I think that this was a very positive aspect of the pickup in economic growth during 
the Trump administration. And I think it's likely that we're going to go back and reverse on this, as you heard from Greg and, and Pascal. So I think this is going to have more of in the weeds, kind of rolling around in the mud, uh, not big headlines, but really some further um, headwind for economic growth going forward, uh, because the, the progressives are going to want something, and uh, for for keeping quiet during the uh, campaigning, for uh, supporting him in the end, and uh, helping him win election. So I think this is going to be where they gain some ground in in the regulatory front. I, I think it's also true that the election um, will have no impact. On, no, on monetary policy in this regard, uh, because frankly, uh, first off, the Fed has already committed to letting the economy run and not raising rates. In other words, growing into an inflation rate of even a little more than 2% for a period of time. And, and I don't think that's gonna change. So even as the economy gains momentum, the Fed will remain on the sidelines and stands ready, by the way, to, I think, increase its quantitative easing. In fact, if you look at the last few months, after the initial flurry of asset purchase and dramatic rise in the Fed balance sheet to over $7 trillion, it, it, they haven't done much lately because the economy and the markets haven't needed much. But, of course, they can go back to very aggressive quantitative easing, uh, I believe. So I think this is a very important point. Um, so I think these are the major impacts uh, for now. There's not going to be any major tax legislation if the Georgia elections hold. And uh, all the effort of the progressive uh, agenda is going to have to be regulatory. Thanks, Ken. And it's uh, interesting because uh, at the same time uh, of Biden's win, uh, there is the perspective and of availability of a vaccine. Uh, so how do you see uh, this uh, announcement? Because probably everyone needs to be a, a little careful there because so far the vaccine uh, of Pfizer has not been authorized on the market. But how do you think uh, it's going to uh, impact uh, the U.S. markets, equities and fixed income and USD in the coming months. I think we, we've seen uh, the impact materializing already uh, this week. Uh, but uh, what are your views going forward? Uh, and do you, do you think that here we have the basement for, I would say, an overall general, general support of the U.S. markets going forward? Well, if the data holds up and... Um we may even see confirmation in a way, independent confirmation of the Pfizer data in the coming days or week, because uh, the other uh, pharmaceutical company that's pursuing a vaccine, Moderna, in the U.S., actually uh, in Boston, uh, uses the same technology um, that Pfizer does. So if they had the same sort of results, it would be almost confirmation of, of that technology and what Pfizer is reporting. I happen to believe, and it's not just me, I, I think Dr. Fauci said it, uh, if this vaccine is for real, uh, the pandemic is going to be over next year in many respects, because with 90% of uh, efficacy, that, that's impressive. We keep in mind the flu vaccine is only about 40 to 60% effective in, in the best years. So this is pretty impressive. And uh The challenge will be getting people to take it, of course, and getting it out there. But even there on the logistics, at least in the United States, they have a, a retired 
uh, retired logistics general in charge of all Army logistics uh, in the background, Operation Warp Speed, on making sure that the um, vaccine gets distributed throughout the United States and elsewhere. So I I think that that is going to be a game changer personally. And you saw the glimmer of that this week in the markets. And um, I, I think that the key is going to be the gap, which we're experiencing now with the rise in COVID, first in Europe, but now in the United States, uh, and the rollout of the vaccine, which is not going to be for at least another quarter or two uh, on on a significant basis. So uh, it's going to be a question of containing it now. As far as fiscal stimulus goes, up till now, I actually don't think the economy needed fiscal stimulus, um, because up till now, there haven't been lockdowns. Up till now, the unemployment rate has kept going down. Up till now, GDP was looking good. Even this quarter, it looks pretty strong so far. But it's prospectively, if in fact, uh, governors and states begin to lock down the economy again, you're seeing hints of it now in in some places, Illinois, Chicago, particularly parts of New York City and elsewhere. Um, That will require some, at least some bridge fiscal stimulus until we get the vaccine out. But I think it's very different. I don't think the market is going to go back to where it was in March and April because it sees it's temporary if the vaccines work. And it's a discounting mechanism looking forward. So I think the market is going to be pretty good going forward with respect to certain parts of the equity market and uh, certain parts of the credit market if the vaccine takes hold. Thanks. I think it's going to be interesting to, to look at in the different countries uh, uh, what will be the policy behind the vaccine. Is it being is it going to be mandatory? Is it going to be just uh, put on the shelf uh, and to be accepted by the population? Because uh, it's not only about uh, the efficiency of the vaccine itself, but also how many people are using it. Uh, we can see uh, starting conversations on that uh, at European level. Pascal, um, uh, markets, not only the U.S. assets that Ken uh, commented on a few seconds, uh, have rebounded very strongly this week. Uh, So can you tell us basically uh, how uh, your asset allocation uh, has changed uh, between the moment where we had the first results uh, on uh, the presidential elections and where there was still uncertainty? And basically, what are your uh, main convictions at the moment uh, for uh, the different portfolios? use uh, that you're supervising? Uh, financial markets have traded on a sort of a Goldilocks narrative in the, the recent period. Coming from the U.S. election, this uh, idea I've mentioned, the uh, fiscal impulse, but with moderation, break on taxes, and at the end of the day, low rates uh, for longer and zero inflation forever. This was the outcome uh, in terms of market expectations from the U.S. elections per se. At the same time, with the announcement by uh, Pfizer, actually, uh, we got uh, markets looking through uh, the immediate uh, biting reality uh, with with, uh, strong hopes of vaccine expectations of uh, normalization uh, in the global economy and the momentum building. Uh, around, uh, coupled with higher yields and steeper curves as a market consequence. So uh, actually, uh, uh, as a result, all boats have been lifted in this uh, sequence. Uh, Actually, you can notice that there are conflicting 
pieces in this uh, in this Goldilocks narrative, uh, specifically on rights, but on growth. What I think is that, uh, um, and this is probably the, the big challenge for investors, uh, actually, is that before we accelerating, uh, we will uh, slow down. It's already the case, and this is why I think uh, some fiscal uh, effort uh, is badly uh, needed uh, at the global level in relation to COVID, but uh, 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 not only. And so it's, for me, it's a matter of uh, sequences, leads, and lags. Uh, ba basically, uh, so the main first conclusion is that we, we enter a sort of uh, critical juncture uh, of, um, I would say, non-linearity and uh, probably noise and volatility due to those uh, conflicting uh, uh, forces. Uh, reality is that the vaccine is the perfect good news, good, perfect storm in terms of good news, but it's a distant prospect in terms of uh, full delivery, distribution, and deployment. Uh, uh, in between, we will have to go through uh, a period where we will see the lag defects of the crisis, uh, hidden uh, or masked fragilities resurfacing in terms of uh, credit risk, uh, but, but not only. So I think the, the, the name of the game is uh, basically to forget the noise and to forget and to focus on uh, on a couple of uh, trends uh, looking through uh, this uh, this period and those are the, the big themes. So I think at the margin, uh, uh, what happened is uh, favorable to a shift from credit to equities uh, uh, at the allocation level. Uh, number two, within equities, I think get prepared for the, the, the great rotation uh, to, uh, towards, uh, I would say, a value cyclical quality. Uh, not everything about value, but uh, in relation to uh, cyclicals and, uh, and, and quality stocks, deep value uh, as well, uh, on top of the, uh, I could say, some thematics benefiting from uh, the uh, post-COVID um, world in relation to uh, expected, uh, I would say, um, push uh, in the infrastructure, health uh, spaces, uh, for example. Uh, this managing uh, the uh, uh, on a more defensive uh, tone, uh, the uh, the uh, the hype in the tech sector, uh, which is. Uh, which is so the challenge is to be able to uh, exploit this rotation uh, while being uh, somewhat protected from uh, the potential wind coming from uh, from the tech sector at some point. Uh, the, the, on the uh, on on the bond side, uh, the trend uh, the trend is probably towards steepening across the board, uh, and this is one theme. Um, uh, and basically moving away from this uh, mantra uh, of uh, rates uh, at zero forever, inflationary expectations at zero forever, which are probably uh, wrong. Uh, it's a matter of timing, but this is probably the trend in the uh, in the medium term uh, period. Uh, um, uh, the second uh, aspect is um, what I would call the great, managing the great discrimination. Uh, we've we've seen a battle between liquidity and fundamentals in the credit space, where 
basically uh, um, uh, poor fundamentals have been uh, and deteriorating credit uh, metrics, leverage or uh, balance sheet uh, have been masked by uh, liquidity uh, effects uh, in the uh, COVID, uh, COVID crisis. So discrimination will happen, uh, not won't be uh, linear, but basically many things are expensive in that space. What is sound and expensive should become more expensive, and what is not sound and expensive should cheapen down the road. It uh, won't be a linear process, but it's probably the trend. Uh, and, in, and at the same time, this is a third point uh, on the bond side, I think, uh, critical to, uh, to manage properly the trade-off between uh, quality, uh, yield, and uh, liquidity, actually. It's probably accepting the idea to give up part of the yield for quality purposes in this, uh, in this uh, transitory uh, um, uh, uh, period. Liquidity is uh, paramount, uh, uh, in, uh, in my view, due to, uh, to market structures where uh, liquidity can dry up uh, rapidly and also for risk-based considerations. On the emerging market side, I think there are opportunities. Uh, emerging markets do not exist as a unique concept, as we all know, but uh, there are uh, there are interesting uh, developments. Um, um, looking at risk premium across the board, uh, actually, and the and the uh, undervaluation of some currencies, uh, the investors uh, are reasonably well paid for the risk of further depreciation of the currency, specifically in a, in a, in a period of uh, weakening uh, uh, of, uh, of the dollar, of uh, dollar weakness. Asia is a, is a, uh, is a plus uh, and a bias in our uh, portfolios, first in, first out, but not only, on fundamental growth as well. China is reasonably insulated as a, as a growth engine and uh, managed uh, reasonably well. So, uh, uh, so it's, uh, it's favored uh, in our uh, um, allocation, uh, both bonds and, uh, and, uh, and uh, equities. Um, so those are the uh, general uh, trends we've got in mind. I would add uh, that it's a, to an extent, it's been accelerated by COVID. And we think that uh, geographical diversification will be back uh, in the portfolios. Uh, it didn't work that well the last three decades due to the uh, correlation of, uh, of uh, geographies to the global trade factor. Global growth doesn't mean any longer global trade. So uh, we are uh, seeing uh, idiosyncratic regional or domestic themes back uh, into the landscape, which uh, which is uh, which is good news, because it's uh, reasonably easy to do uh, in the portfolio. So the old-fashioned geographical diversification uh, is back, uh, in uh, in my view. Thank you very much, Pascal. I think we are coming to the end of this conversation. So to, to end it up, I would like to have uh, three uh, provocative questions, uh, one to each of you, and, and I would ask some uh, short answers uh, if, uh, if possible. Uh, the first one is for you, uh, Ken, uh, and coming back to Greg's point saying that Mr. Trump would be uh, 78 uh, in four years to come. So 78 is a good age to become president, apparently. So do you think we're going to see Mr. Trump back? I doubt it. Um... 
doesn't mean he doesn't want to be president, but uh, I, the age is a consideration, although not the ultimate consideration. I think it's whether or not he's um, fit enough to be it. In fact, Joe Biden doesn't exactly seem young <laughs> either, so, and he was elected president. And, uh, you know, 70 in, is, is the new 60 and 80 is the new 70 as it goes. So uh, I, I'm not convinced about that, but I, I, I think the country is tired of him and I don't think it's going back there. Um, I, I don't think the country is per se tired of some of his policies. And if we can see a candidate with a similar set of philosophies, although less confrontational and, and all the other baggage that he has, but with the same sort of, um, uh, I think, business and uh, principles and, and, and somewhat, uh, I, I think, uh, better climate for business, then um, – and, and frankly, for people's incomes and jobs and everything else, uh, then I, I, I don't see that as a problem. And, and maybe someone like that. I, I actually thought personally that by not winning the Senate and not having a full um, all the levers of government in Biden's hands probably saves them a little bit more from losing the presidency in four years, because if they went off the deep end <laughs> and, and implement the platform that was partly written by the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, you, you recall, uh, that, that would have taken the country uh, far more to the left than it's prepared to go, I think. The, the outcome seems to suggest that. And, and that would have been a, a setup for a worse outcome in midterm elections and maybe the presidential election. Thanks. Pascal, a second provocative question for you. It's on Europe. Don't you, do you think that uh, Biden's election is a good news for Europe in the end? Because we could consider and one could advocate that the fact that Mr. Trump was on the other side of the Atlantic was uh, an incentive for Europe to be more united, more sovereign, to create its own defense system, etc., etc. So do you think the fact that Mr. Biden is elected is a good news for Europe? Actually, you're right in the sense that uh, actually the... the, 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 the the most impressive uh, progress we've seen in Europe, institutionally speaking, have been historically uh, linked uh, to uh, some kind of crisis or pressure, uh, whatever the uh, the angle. So, the, if the the pressure is uh, is going, uh, uh, you may be right, which which uh, which I doubt. Uh, uh, frankly, I think uh, there is some momentum already. Uh, uh, building, I would. I'm, I'm more sensitive to the uh, positive side of the of the coin. Uh, specifically, I've mentioned already some some aspects, but uh, the uh, spreading of uh, the ESG thematic is one uh, in relation to uh, to uh, to Europe uh, climate, but also uh, social equality, Paris Agreement. Uh, the Fed just uh, announced. Uh, uh, that they would uh, they would probably join the uh, NGFS uh, coalition, uh, which is part of a price signaling uh, positioning of the of the central bank, uh, and we will probably see more in terms of stress tests or green bonds in their in their in the policy. So I think this is this uh, this is this uh, this trend acceler is accelerated by Biden, not created uh, because the uh, under Trump. Uh, ESG was already gaining momentum uh, in the U.S. across the board, so uh, I think it's uh, it's uh, it's it's a positive. But uh, it is true that Europe will lose, uh, I would say, the uh, the incentive 
through pressure crisis uh, we used to have uh, easily uh, with uh, with Trump. Thanks. And the final question is uh, is for you, uh, Greg. Uh, I think uh, you've explained to us uh, and also Ken that uh, so far everybody has bought uh, the consensus, which is that basically Biden has been elected but doesn't have the power to implement, I would say, the left part of its uh, program. Don't you think somehow that at the end of the day, the parts of the progressist uh, Democratic Party will obtain more in the course of the mandate uh, and that they represent something also important that in a way or another could challenge the balance that so far everybody seems to buy? Yes, I, I, I think this is a very positive election uh, for Europe, for the financial markets. There's, I think, a sense of becoming more in the center, a sense of fewer surprises. I think there's nothing wrong with stability. I think that's a very good thing. So we, we return maybe a little boring, maybe not exciting, but I think this is a, a positive scenario. But I would say one thing. This all assumes that Joe Biden is in good health. And there are many people who feel he has gotten a little frail. Sometimes he has difficulty finding the right words. Uh, he turns 78 in two weeks. Uh, I am not certain that uh, his running mate, Kamala Harris, is uh, ready for the job. She's clearly to the left of Biden, quite a bit to the left. So assuming Biden stays in good health, I think this is a very positive story. Okay. Thank you very much to all three. Uh, I think uh, it was a great conversation. So thank you very much for your participation and see you soon for a new Blue Conversation. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.